So, um, really, obviously, something like that can say more than I could ever say. Um, it's uh, quite extraordinary, um, that man's story, isn't it? Quite extraordinary. But um, <clears throat> I, I still will attempt to say some things, and hopefully uh, some will help. Um, we're continuing this series, looking at the problem of evil, the problem of pr- pain, problem of suffering. And just um, uh, just a really short review for you guys who weren't here. Um, last weekend, looked at a whole lot of stuff. But we looked at the big question, <coughs> problem of evil, which it basically is, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-good, then why is there evil? That's the trilemma. And uh, we looked at all the lots of different responses, lots of different answers that have been given. And some were a little helpful and some weren't. Um, all of them were a little bit limited. And, and I, I said, like, in some ways, there's some elements of this problem which um, are not solvable. And I don't claim to be able to solve them. And I think that's a really important thing. There's always this element of mystery and it, it goes beyond us. So, but there were some... Um, there were some answers that were helpful. They, they, they took us uh, in the right direction and, and they, they sort of gave us hope that eventually there'll be some explanation. Now, uh, one of the more helpful ones was the free will defense. And, and basically it says that God is all good and he was all powerful, but he, he, he created, um, his, his goal was a creation of free creatures who freely love each other and love him. And of course, that love required freedom. We talked about how forced love is an oxymoron, you know. You can't force someone to love you because then it's no longer love. So there had to be this element of freedom. And of course, with freedom comes risk that some people would not always maintain that, that love for God or others. And of course, that is what has happened. It's broken out into, in, in creation, this sort of rebellion against God. And then we looked at, while that ha- answer is helpful, it has some limits, and then we pushed it a little further, and we saw a, a more comprehensive answer is that the world outside looks like a war zone on all levels. Every city, every family, every life, there's, there's conflict and pain and suffering. It looks like a war zone because it is actually a war zone. And, and this war happens at multiple dimensions. It's a cosmic war, it's a spiritual war, um, and it's also a war in the human heart. And so it's, there's all these levels. And, and that helped us sort of put in, into perspective the different pain and suffering we see, um, that God isn't causing it, he's not behind it, um, that there's multiple causes, there's lots of uh, people, lots of forces fighting against God. And then we looked at... Um, how, you know, a lot of the answers that we had sort of looked at, which weren't quite adequate, were very theoretical. They were philosophical. They were trying to figure it all out. But when we looked at God's response to pain and evil, it was primarily practical. And, and just as um, evil and suffering in the world is actually quite extraordinary, it's, it's, it's extreme. Like the levels and the variety is 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 extraordinary, but God's response is extraordinary. And so uh, I, I started to look at the response, and then I'm going to look a bit more to today and tomorrow because it, it's, it's, it's a comprehensive response, and it's got lots of stages. But the, the first one, the big one, the thing that turned everything around is the extraordinary thing that God himself became involved in the problem. 
And, and you, we, usually we think of God as distant, out there, transcendent, above all, all-powerful, can't be touched. But we saw, particularly in, in the person of Jesus, all of a sudden God comes right in to the heart of pain and suffering, but also evil and sin. And he gets right, so he enters the problem internally. He becomes a human being. Not a superhuman, but one subject to everything we are. And then he wrestles with um, sin and evil, and he, he fights. He fights against the causes of pain and suffering. And we also saw his ministry where he, began, he, he demonstrated God's ultimate will for us, and he, he starts healing pain and suffering. And um, he also, But he also becomes the sin bearer. He actually takes evil and sin upon himself as if it's his. He owns it, even though he's innocent, but he owns it in order to take it and take it away. And his uh, suffering on the cross is part of that. And then he conquers death, which is, death is, is, is like the, you've got pain and suffering and evil, but death gives everything finality. And it's like evil wins with death. Because, you know, some, someone does something horrendous to someone else, and then death takes both of them away, and it's never put right. So Jesus actually conquered death as well. And so he's broken that finality of evil and sin, and, and he's, he's, he's sort of shown, in principle, that God can actually resolve all of this. So that left us with a new question, though, and that's one we're going to start to look at tonight and, and tomorrow. And the new question is this. God may have done something amazing in Jesus. He may have taken care of sin and death and evil and pain and suffering in Jesus, in his person, but that's, that's Jesus, that's one person at one place and one time. So in principle, God's achieved a total victory, but how has how it out, become outside of Jesus? You know, how is it extended? How is it universalized? And so now we're going to start to look at, um, at that. And um, what we're coming to tonight is particularly the personal and the individual. So it's about you and me. And I'm going to look at um, first uh, us and pain, and then us and evil. Now, they're, they're linked, but there's, there's a, they're a little bit separate. So first, it's going to be the sort of in-your-face symptom of evil, which is pain, and none of us like it. Okay, and then we're going to look at the root foundational source of all pain and suffering, which is um, evil, and uh, see how these two work together. Now, um, just a bit on... Uh, pain. Uh, God does not ordain evil. He's not its author. It's not his will. Rather, it's the rejection of his will. Okay. So God's not deliberately bringing about evil or pain or suffering. Um, but remember, God must, he, he temporarily allows evil to exist in order to overcome it and to rescue those who are subject to it or um, overcome by it. Okay, so he has to allow it to go on. And while he doesn't cause evil, he acts omitted to subvert it and bring good out of it. Okay. So he's not causing an evil so he can bring a good, but because evil has come, he acts to subvert it and bring um, good about it. And it's very important to realize that 
um, the only world God has to work with at the moment is a world full of um, pain, suffering, and evil, and sin, and people making terrible choices. So what that means is God must act within evil. There's no other world. So he's, he has to utilize evil events, painful events. Okay, but he's not causing them. It's quite important. But he's right there in, in the middle of it. Now, I want to look at pain. Um, let's talk about pain. Do you know that pain is good and it's bad? Now, you all agree with me, pain is bad. <laughs> but pain is good. And it's, it's quite a profound thing. I remember when I first discovered this, I, I, it took me a while to get my head around it, uh, especially emotionally. Intellectually, I, I, I could see that, but oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't like pain. Uh, if you're like me, when I get the man flu, it's really bad. You know, I get really bad man flu. flu. Um, but pain, I, I don't mean it's good in a, a masochistic fashion. Okay. There is nothing about someone seeking their own pain or seeking someone else's pain. And, and the Bible's pretty clear about that. In Ephesians uh, 5, um, he's talking about marriage, but he just says, you know, no one deliberately, everyone cherishes and nourishes their own body, their own person. In other words, a healthy, functioning person never seeks their own pain or someone else's. Now, a lot of people do hurt themselves. Um, I, I've worked with some people who have done that, and that's, it's always an unhealthy sign, and it's always something's really wrong, and it, they're not healthy at the moment when they're doing that. But um, pain does serve uh, a lot of uh, purposes. Um, but even so, we think, well, why did God make pain so painful? I know it's, you know, why is pain so painful? Couldn't God have made it so cutting your leg or burning your hand didn't feel quite as um, bad? You know, because then here's the equation, less pain, less suffering. It seems quite, um, quite a good equation. It seems like a good idea, but it's actually really flawed. And I just want to briefly look at that, how, how important pain is and how valuable it is. And the first thing is this. This is why pain, not all pain, but pain is good. Uh, it's designed to keep us from self-destruction. And um, pain saves the body. It warns it. It tells us that something is wrong. It alerts us. And I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Paul Brand, but he was a, a missionary and a doctor who worked in India with lepers. And this is where you really learn about the importance of pain. You see, lepers, you often see them with stubs for hands, like fingers missing, toes missing. Sometimes, you know, um, a, whole part, a whole part of their cheek is just gone. Um, and, and so when you look at that, you think, oh, leprosy is a, a skin disease which attacks fingers and toes and, and like lips and mouths and ear, you know, your ears. And you think, that's what it is. Some sort of organism attacking the body. Do you know that it's not? Leprosy causes none of those things at all. There's only one thing that leprosy does. It makes it so you can't feel pain. That's all leprosy does. It does not cause any damage to the body, except you can't feel pain, particularly in your extremities. And so what happens with lepers is they um, constantly injure their hands, but they don't feel it. And so they can put their hand in a fire and not feel it. 
they might even do it for tricks, you know, and some leper colonies and that. They, they, they like to freak people out. But they're constantly cutting themselves, and what happens is they get infections, and then that's where the damage happens. And they're doing it all the time, and so they lose, uh, you know, fingers and, and toes and that sort of thing. And so if you wanted to know what the world would be like if we couldn't feel pain, go to a leper colony. That is a world without pain where you've got lots of people who are wounded and disfigured. We need pain. It's really important. Now, I mean, pain protects. It's a key. Get this. Pain is a key to happiness. It seems counterintuitive, but it's really important. You will never be happy if you don't have pain or the pain system. So that's the first thing. But why is pain so painful? Why is it so painful? And this is the second one. In order to save us from self-destruction, pain must be strong enough. Okay. Pain must be painful. Now, they actually did, they tried, were trying to, Paul Brand was working with others trying to help lepers. And so they um, did experiments with lepers and they, they hooked up a warning system for them. So they wouldn't, you know, hurt themselves or damage themselves. It was a beep system. So if, if they were either causing some pain or the equivalent, um, the, the, a little machine would beep. And you think, that sounds fantastic. That sounds really good. The trouble was, it never worked. See, a painless warning system just doesn't work. Um, the lepers would have just ignored it because they couldn't feel it. And um, a beep is not something you, you feel. It's external to you and it's just a, a noise and you can easily um, ignore it. So pain has to hurt to work in order to, to help you. Um, but there's another element to it. Here's number three. So listen up for number three. They also found that this, in order for pain to work, it must be out of your control. So they realized the beep system didn't work. So what they then did is they set up a shock mechanism to help lepers, to make a, you know, to actually make them um, react. But what happened was that um, once the lepers started experiencing shocks, you can guess what they did. They turned off the shock mechanism. Because who wants to experience shocks? And, and obviously this mechanism is not as good as our pain system, which is variable. You know, if I whack my heart, hand, I'll get a bit of pain. If I get a hammer, I'll actually feel a lot more. So the lepers would actually turn off the shock mechanism system. You see, pain for you to work must be independent of your control which is really interesting, and I think it, it tells us maybe a bit about the Creator, that He, he knew this. <laughs> um, otherwise, we, we actually turn it off. So often people blame God for pain, but without realizing how uh, crucial it is and how important the pain reaction is. To, um, it's a vital and important part of being a human being. It's, it, it's hard to say this, but it's actually a blessing, a blessing from God. Um, and... But this, knowing this helps in some ways relate to our lives, but it also highlights something else, and that it highlights that the real problem is not pain or suffering. It's moral evil. 
it's, it's when we choose to do things which are not right. And the reason I say this is because um, people actually use the pain system to hurt others. And that's what torture is, isn't it? So torture, the pain system is a good thing. But when, when someone tortures someone else, they're utilizing something good for, for evil. So the real problem is actually moral evil, which lies at the heart of human beings. And so we, first and foremost, we want God to take away our pain. It's like, why God? But first and foremost, God wants to take away moral evil. So we have different priorities to God. And God's aiming to deal with the more foundational one um, first. Now, uh, thinking about pain can help us think through some of the elements of... um, of moral evil or things that we do wrong and um, realize how, how crucial it is. Um, with our pain system, because it's through our nervous system, it's an immediate feedback. But uh, moral evil, because it's moral, it's relational, it does, it, um, there's a delay between the act which is wrong and then the consequences. It's not immediate. So, for example, with you, if you lie, often there's no immediate negative consequences. In fact, there can actually be good consequences. I mean, good. The lie might work. You get something to your advantage. Okay, so it actually appears good. Quite different. See, this is quite different to, to pain. We're talking about uh, like natural evil pain. I'm talking about moral evil. So even you know, if you covet, if you're jealous, if you're, you're envious, if you're uh, lustful, if you're, you're proud or arrogant, if you've got this rivalry with someone or you engage in, in say, different forms of sexual immorality and, and all these things. And a lot of these, there might be a pleasure response. You might get a temporary advantage. You know, and it doesn't appear to be damaging at all. Um, but eventually these things catch up with us. And they're actually really damaging. And they destroy lives. And they destroy communities. And they can destroy nations. You know, um, So pain just affects eternally in our body. When you know, something goes wrong, we hurt ourselves. But moral evil can shatter community. It can, sh- it can spread far and, far and wide. Now we actually do have a warning system. A moral one. So it's not the nervous system. But it's, it's, it's things like conscience. But it's, it's a bit like um, it speaks to you, but you can ignore it. It's a bit like a leper with pain, can't you? So our, 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 our conscience, maybe God speaks to us through our conscience, but we, we can actually just um, ignore it. And the things it brings up, things that we don't... Um, uh, don't like, we can actually um, push away. Um, but uh, this moral warning system is alerting us to the fact that and not only a bad consequence is going to come, but there is actually immediate damage. Because it's not f- physical, we don't notice it at much. But what happens is when someone lies, or I'm just using that as an easy example, um, there's psychological mental, emotional damage to themselves and spiritual damage to themselves, to their character, to their mind. Okay. But again, it's, it's, it's not um, physical. 
And so we can actually ignore that connection, um, ignore, say, so do this act and bad comes, but we can ignore that, we can explain it in other ways, and we can keep going. Um, now, remember, we, I said that um, with leprosy, you can see the visible effects of uh, our leprosy, and if we didn't feel pain, we would all, um, if we were like lepers, all of us, our world would be all disfigured and um, wounded, wouldn't we? Uh, what would the world look like if we ignored our spiritual, psychological, moral warning system? What would it look like? Well, we would all be psychologically, spiritually, morally wounded and disfigured and wounding others and disfiguring others. And that is actually our world, isn't it? So, I mean, I said imagine, but this is our world. Um, uh, we, we constantly um, see this. Now, I've been talking about pain, and then I, us in pain, but I, w- I want to do it because it's, it's actually um, an opportune time to transition to us and moral evil. And uh, C.S. Lewis, he meditated on pain, and eventually he came up with the idea that, that pain is God's megaphone or he uses it as a megaphone, as it were, to get our attention. And this is what he said. This is a quote. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. So pain, God takes pain and uses it as a wake-up call. And I'm talking about physical pain, but also now the, the wider sorts of pain. You know, social pain, relational pain, moral pain, and all this. Pain becomes an opportune moment that God uses us, uses to speak to us about the root of the problem in our lives. So we start thinking about God, about the future, um, about ethics and morality, about other people, um, about our destiny, about morality, and what's, what are we going to do about it. Um, when this happens, you can actually uh, try to escape this. So with pain, a lot of people dull emotional, psychological pain with alcohol. Okay. It's, it's quite common, and they just want to make that go away. Now, of course, it doesn't solve the problem. So the problem actually gets worse, and it comes back um, more in a more virulent form. I don't know if you've got a... Uh, You've got, um, you've wounded yourself. You've got an infection, but you just leave it. What happens? It can get worse and worse because you didn't act quickly, and so people try and put it off um, and not deal with it. But God wants us to deal with it, and so when people get uh, feelings of guilt, regret, regret, shame, sorrow, emptiness, and so forth, often this is the time where God tries to come to them to address the, uh, address the deeper issues. And what he does, one of the things he does, um, is he, he takes this and then he joins it with something else. And I've got a, just a, a few verses here. This is what God does. He, he, he joins this experience to the knowledge of his law to try and clarify what's really at issue here. So in Romans 3, uh, 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So God, the law is sort of highlights, okay, you're feeling guilt in that, but here's why. It's because there's a moral, spiritual issue between you and God and you and other people. So it's, it's to highlight it. The law brings a knowledge of sin. And then uh, Romans 7, 7. What should we say then? That the law is sin? Because it yeah, makes us feel bad. And he goes, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is, what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet or desire what's not yours. So the law highlights the real problem. That's a spiritual moral problem, but it doesn't bring the solution. Okay, So it just highlights the problem. Uh, it shows that we're actually spiritual lepers. And the, the, the kindest thing that God can do is actually help us to feel again. You know, the kindest thing you could do to a leper is to regenerate their nervous system so they can feel pain. The kindest thing that God can do to a human being, a spiritual leper as it were, is to make us spiritually sensitive to him and to the deeper moral reality of life. And that's what he does. So he awakens in us uh, a sense of, um, hey, where, where's my life going? How, how do I relate to God? And he tries to highlight that we have um, been resisting him. So God, he does this, he encounters us in order to prepare us for him coming and bringing the defeat of evil, which he's achieved, into our lives. Uh, this is the process of what he does. So it goes from symptoms, and God moves us to the cause, which is our hostility to God, our, how do I resist God, our warfare against God. And then he moves from there, doesn't stay there, he moves to the solution. Um which is, yeah. Now, and this is really important because if we're looking at how God responds to the problem of evil, then God has to go right down to the, to the base level, right? Right down to the root. He can't just hang around sort of giving um, painkillers. He's got to go right down to the, the essential um, problem. And, but it's, it's actually quite complex, how God brings the solution to us. Because um, we're both victims and perpetrators of pain and suffering and, and evil. So we're both fighting against God, but in need of God. And I've got a little two-year-old, and she's actually really good. But sometimes you're trying to help her, but she doesn't want your help. <laughs> and so you've got to, it's this delicate act of um, bringing her help, while she's fighting against you. And, and God actually has the same thing with us, naturally, as human beings. And it's, it's difficult. So he, he, he brings a solution to us, but because we're still free, we can reject it. Um, he's not going to force us on it. And so the solution um, can be turned away by people. It doesn't happen magically um, when God brings the solution into our life. And also there's a lag time in the sense that he brings the initial solution and I'm, I'm going to look at this, but it takes time to work in, in our lives. Okay, so what is the solution? What does God do? Well, what he does is he gives us, right, as a promise and as a gift, the whole package 
right, of solution up front to us by giving us Jesus. Remember, God has achieved the complete defeat of evil, pain and suffering in Jesus. So what he does is he gives us Jesus. So the compl- everything is right there in him. Um, okay, so I just want to look at a verse which goes through and just highlights what happens, how this process happens and what happens. So this is in Romans um, 5. And so it says, um, since therefore we've been justified by faith, and I'll explain that, we've got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we also have, have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, which is unusual, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And then he says, For while we were still sinners at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person some would even dare to die. So a righteous person is someone who lives a very upright life, but a good person is someone who's shown you kindness. And it's like, Paul's like, maybe someone would die for a person like that. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, um, we have now been Sorry, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, a lot of verses, but I just want to um, pick out a few things um, for you about how God then comes and brings that uh, defeat of evil to us. And there's three things. One is reconciliation. So, um, remember, uh, war is about hostility. It's about fighting. And this verse uh, mentioned that we're actually enemies of God, but that's when he loved us. So the first thing God does is he wins us over. He wins his enemies over. And he changes us from fighting him, to being with him. Uh, He wins our hearts and minds, and he does it by his ultimate act of war, which, of course, is his act of self-sacrificial love. Remember, that's the ultimate way God fights. That's not how we fight. That's how he fights. And he, he reconciles us. So the first one is we become his friends. He makes us our friends. The second one is this justification. The opposite word is condemnation. So he's made us our friends, but now he forgives us. He removes everything that is between us and God. Um, We can't change the past. And in a sense, God doesn't change it. Rather, he does something equivalent to it at his own cost. He takes all our sin, everything that is wrong, takes away the wrath, whatever, takes it upon himself. He suffers it. He gets rid of it. And in return, we get full pardon, uh, full membership. So... If reconciliation is we become friends, justification is we become forgiven friends. And then the third one he does is empowerment. And in these verses, we talked about how God would give us grace to stand 
and how he would pour the love of God into us. He'd give us the Holy Spirit or his own presence. And um, so what God does then is he begins a transformation of our lives. So um, we become forgiven friends, forgiven friends, and then empowered forgiven friends. Um, and this is uh, how, how he works. Now, how does this fully become part of us? If this is what God does for us, how does it become part of us? So I've got here, and this is something that you can maybe look at later on, but um, four things. So the first one is really simple. It's faith. You trust God. So it's, it's not how, about how amazing you are, or how good you are, or anything like that. God brings the defeat of evil which he's achieved in Jesus to you when you have faith in Jesus. Now, faith is primarily receptive. It's just trusting. It's not an achievement. It's receptive. You think, well, God, you've done this. I, I embrace it and accept it and believe it. Thank you. That's the first thing. It's a very simple thing. And it's followed up by confession, and it has a negative element and a positive element. Okay? So there's two things. You confess in two ways. So first is the negative, and um, 1 John 1, nine. I don't have it up here, but it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we have to own up to sin and evil in our own life. So before the defeat of evil can become part of our lives, we've got to admit, okay, I'm part of the problem. So it's a, it's a negative confession. It's an owning up. It's a, it's a profound honesty. And, and that honesty is really important. But there's a positive side to it as well. And in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you confess what is wrong, but then you confess what is right and you confess him. So you own him. And then um, we've got this repentance or turning. So remember, uh, we re- read this uh, last time. Mark 1.14, it says, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So repentance. So you, you believe him. You make this confession. And then to repent, the word means to change your thinking, and your life. And, and the simplest illustration is, I'm heading this way. That's God there. But naturally, we all head this way. And to repent is, I, I actually turn around in my thinking and in my lifestyle. And now I head towards Him. It's, it's pretty simple. But you leave off hurting other people. You leave off rejecting God. You leave off, you turn, and now you head towards Him. So it's like you want God. That's the repentance. And then the final one, which um, we'll touch a little bit tomorrow, is discipleship or following. And um, Matthew 9, 9 says, Jesus passed from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He was a tax collector. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed Jesus. In other words, you then um, become a disciple of Jesus which is like an apprentice. You come under his discipline, under his learning, and you start to learn uh, how to live for him. Which is, and remember, we looked at his life. His life was a, um, 
a life which instead of uh, spreading sin, evil, pain, suffering, actually started to have this healing effect in the world. And tomorrow we'll start to, to look a bit at, at that. And it's um, a really, really crucial um, thing. Um, so, in a sense, what God does is he, he is the solution, but then he begins to make us part of the solution. He draws us in to himself. And we become part of the solution. Evil at its heart is a theological concept. It's actually firstly about God before it's about anything else. And so the solution must be uniting us back to God. And that's the the foundational thing that God is trying to um, take care of. Um, So it's not a theoretical or philosophical problem. It's a practical problem, a personal problem. In other words, it's a problem for you. Not the person sitting beside you, for you, for me. Um, and then God, um, once he's, he's got us, he's got our attention, he's drawn us uh, to him, we then become part of his fight against evil. Now, uh, you know, when, when I talk about this, um, I'm always aware of my limitations. And, and one of the big ones is... Um, Unlike that guy, Nick, I, comparatively, I haven't known a lot of pain and suffering. When I compare my life to a lot of other people, I'm a pastor, I get to talk to all sorts of people as well, and I compare my life to their lives, and then I've, you know, I've traveled to some parts of the world like Mongolia and China and, and that, and I've, also, I've seen the way other people live. Comparatively, man, I have not had much pain or suffering. And so sometimes I, I, I sort of think, um, oh, how can I talk to someone who's really been through pain and suffering and even say this sort of thing? Um, but what I've noticed is, particularly as a pastor, um, I've met so many people who have endured ridiculous pain and suffering. Um, and people open up to me about their stories. And so people have told me about their stories of, of rape, of abuse, um, you know, of, of being the victims of, of violence, injustice, um, being put in prison. Um, you know, a lot of people go to work in Saudi Arabia and a lot of these Arab states, and they're usually from... Um, countries like India, Bangladesh, Philippines, and um, the conditions are horrendous. And if you complain, you just end up in jail. Like it's a phenomenally. So I've had people tell me stories about this. People who have lost, you know, loved ones, children, um, people with profound disabilities, and chronic, constant pain. But here's the thing, and it always amazes me, and it shouldn't. Um, but looking at that, you think, that's a, like, how do you come back from that? And from a secular point of view, your, your life is written off. You may recover a little bit. Maybe you'll get on top of it again. But then your life will be over, and that's it. So basically, you got the raw end of the stick for most of your life, and then your life ended. In other words, 
evil completely defeats the good in that person's life. But what amazes me is I've met people who have been through all of this and they've come through it. They've experienced a lot of pain. Um, They don't minimize what they've been through. They've suffered. But they've actually started to experience real healing. And that evil has actually been defeated in their life because they've encountered God and Jesus. And I've seen this again and again. Now, we saw this with this guy, Nick. You, you think um, that is all of, that would be an absolute horror for all of us to experience that, true? We would not choose it. And yet, did you see what I saw? That has been defeated in his life, and it's extraordinary. And you think, how is that possible? But it is possible, and I've seen it in so many people's lives. And, and that gives me confidence then to, to stand up and, and, and actually say, you know, Jesus does make all the difference in the world. He really does, and it's, it's not theoretical. I've seen it. Now, I, I know it in my own life, but again, my life has, has been a life of privilege, I think. But I've seen it in people who have suffered the worst, and it's still true. And in one sense, it's even more true for them. What they've found and recovered in Jesus. And they have this undying hope. And see, he has become the last word instead of the pain or the suffering or the evil. And, and it, he's defeated it. And it's, it's quite profound. But it's only, you can only know this truly by experience, by actually taking him and saying, okay, you are God's complete solution to pain, evil, and suffering, and I want to be part of you. I want you. And that's what uh, God does, and it's just um, really fantastic. Um, So, look, there's a response card, and this gives you um, lots of opportunities to, um, at your own choice, your own pace, to respond to what I've said tonight, or even just to get involved in this group. And so what it's got here is um, I'd like to join the fight to end evil by learning more about Jesus and the problem of pain uh, through personal Bible studies or an exposure to Jesus where one can encounter him. Um, Or committing my life to God through um, baptism, which is that discipleship step. We talked about those four steps. Or maybe you... um, you want to recommit your life uh, to one of prayer and faith in Jesus. Maybe you want to talk to Roy or Jinha because um, your own life has all these particular individual personal elements to it. And sometimes maybe you want to talk to someone and see how God relates to that. And, and so, yeah. And there's also just some practical things. You don't want to look at future topics here at the exchange. Um, Maybe you want to get involved in a small group, sit down with people, just talk, eat some food, talk to each other about the uh, problem of pain, about relationships. Or maybe you just want to, want to socialize. Loneliness is one of the sufferings that is pretty prevalent in our, um, our Western society. And, and so you might even want to invite people to that. So I just want to give you an opportunity to um, fill out that, and we're going to um, listen to some music while we do that.